We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. This is not a recruitment for choir. It may, it may be a little bit, but I have a question. Now, you don't have to be arrogant and answer. I'm not asking. No, I'm not gonna gonna really pin you down on this. I just wonder how many of you in here would say I can sing a little bit. I, I mean, I don't mean that you are necessarily, but you think you've got at least you can maybe match pitch. You, you're you mm, mm, like I, I I'm not the worst singer that that ever was. How, how many of you in here uh, um, would say? I mean, in a pinch, I can, I can, okay, we got two or two or three over here. Okay, good, good. In my, back here, all right, yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, I know you can. You can raise your hand a little higher than that. I know you're a little better than that. Go on, Wentworth, get it up high and wave it. Uh, uh, yeah. Y'all do duets sometimes, too, y'all? Uh, no? Uh, uh, nobody on this side of the room? None of y'all? Mark, put your hand down. I don't want lightning. It's already raining. Lightning going to hit this place. Uh, anybody, anybody else? Okay, we get, we got a few. All right, good. I had somebody actually tonight. This was tonight. This wasn't another day. This is tonight. I'm eating supper, trying to eat my apple pie. By the way, if you hadn't tried those across the street, those fried apple pies are absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, they're on the dessert dessert line. If they ever come out, go go ahead and get you one. They're great. So I'm trying to eat my apple pie, and this individual walks up to me. She, they're in here, and said said. I heard you sing before, and it's a good thing you don't sing in the choir. You're terrible. So I just said, well, you're ugly, um, you know. So, hey, everybody's got their thing, right, you know. Uh, but, but no, so, so we've got, I think, I, I think total hands, maybe eight or nine. I know we're a little low tonight, like eight or nine of y'all can, can sing a little bit. Got a little rain outside, and so, um, so because of that, though, I, there's going to be some times tonight where I might need some help. I mean, I just, I might need some help. And so these are going to be songs you know. I mean, you're, you're going to know them. Um, even if you weren't born when these songs, you're going to know these songs. And so the, the first song that, that I want to bring up is from all the way in 1965. All right. That's 14 years before I was born. That's Way, way long time ago. But everybody knows this song, all right? It's by a little group called the Rolling Stones. Anybody heard of the Rolling Stones? Anybody in here heard of the Rolling Stones? Uh, um, all right. Um, so let's just, let's just see if we can say it, all right? We, we don't necessarily have to sing it because some of you are like, we're in the sanctuary. We're not singing that song here tonight. But let's just see some of you know it, all right? So the song says what? I can't what? Get no. But I've tried. And I've tried. And I've tried. But I can't. Come on now. That was, that was terrible. I can't what? Chris, wasn't that bad? That was terrible. That was terrible, wasn't it? All I mean, absolutely terrible. I can't. I can't. What? I was a little bit. Boy, y'all are trying not to sing it. I mean, y'all are. Everything in you is trying not to put a little chant on the on the end of that. Um, absolutely, I can't get no satisfaction. And you wonder how over the course of time we talked about last week how some songs stick. 
It doesn't matter. There, there are teenagers that are at this church right now that could finish that line out. They know that song. Over the course of time, that's one that people just know. And the question is, why do some songs stick and why do some songs not stick? I would tell you that I believe that that song has probably stuck, not only because of the beat, not only necessarily because of, of, of the melody that goes with it and the words are easy, but also because the lyric, I believe, characterizes an entire generation of people. I can't get no satisfaction. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I can't get no satisfaction. In other words, I've tried everything. Think about the world that we live in for just a moment. Would, would we say that this is a world that seems satisfied or dissatisfied with the state of things in general? We are a world that has more than anyone has ever heard. I, last night, I'm, I'm, I try, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to go off on a tangent here. I, I'm going to try not to go off on a tangent here. But I, I try, no matter who the President of the United States is, to listen to the State of the Union addresses. I think there's something important about listening. And so I'm listening, listening to the State of the Union address last night, and it occurred to me that no matter how bad we think things are or how terrible decisions that we think they might be, we live in a world that is absolutely overcome with affluence. We have running water, we have electricity, we have heated homes, we have food, we have every necessity that we could want. And yet what we know now is that we live in a generation that is more unhappy, that is more depressed, that is more dissatisfied, that can't seem to get enough, that can't be filled up than have ever lived in American history. People have been happier with less in every generation before us than we are now. So if it was true in 1965 that people couldn't get any satisfaction, I would submit to you that in 2023, I don't think the problem's gotten better. I think the problem's gotten worse. And so as we set this scripture up, you know that we're, we're in, right now we're studying the, the written and read, the words of Jesus. We're walking through the Gospels. And so tonight, as we kind of set up John 4, specifically we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 tonight. But before we look at those verses together, let's just think for a moment, when we think about people that aren't able to get satisfied, what, do, what is it that we see in our generation, in our world, in our community? What is it that we see people trying? What are they trying to find satisfaction in? that really is bringing them to a point of dissatisfaction? What are some things that, that you would just say that, that in your life that you're noticing that it seems like people keep trying to fill themselves up with blank, but it never seems to satisfy? Material things, absolutely. I mean, and this is a really good question. Um, and there's a fine balance, I think, with we had a conversation at my house the other night. I'll, one of the things that you want your children to be is able to sustain themselves. And what I mean is, uh, as they get older, I want gainful employment responsibility. I want you out of my home. I want, to, uh, I want you to have your own work, your own job, your own career. I don't necessarily, it doesn't have to be, it, whatever that might be, but we need to start talking about that. They're 13 and 14, but, but 
those things can change, but one of your goals needs to be that you're leaving here. Like that's one of one of the goal, your life goals, some way or another, you're you're moving on. I love you to death, and we'll cook you some sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving, but you can't live here. Like we've got to start thinking about how we're gonna gonna achieve that. So we've got all these, you know these ideas and things we're going to do for a living and what we're going to be. And I'm, and all that's great. I'm, we're having all of those discussions. But we had a discussion the other day <clears throat> about the question, how much is enough? Because one of my kids, and I won't tell which one because I, I don't want to just tell all of their business all the time, but just made the statement, I'm going to be rich, all right? We'll be, I'm going to be rich. I said, all right. I said, that's, that's great. What is our plan for that? Like, what, what, what are we going to do? So when I tell you unfolded a plan, like I was actually kind of, in, I, I thought, well, I wasn't thinking I was going to get that detailed an answer. So I get this kind of, this battle strategy for wealth, like that we're, and so I'm listening to all this and I said, so I just asked the question about the things that this person, I was trying to not use a pronoun, was was talking about, and the question that I asked was this, do any of those things, would doing them, would you find satisfaction in those? Would those be things you would enjoy doing? Well, I realized that that really hadn't crossed the mind, whether or not it would be something they would enjoy doing, but what would the end result of it be would be that it would bring about money. So we start having kind of just this basic discussion about, I want you to pursue what God places on your heart to pursue and something that you enjoy and that you are passionate about that God directs you to, and the money will take care of itself, but you need to... So we're having this, this conversation, but I realized, even talking to them, they live in a world, and so do we, where when you ask that question, how much is enough? I, I don't know how you answer that. I don't know how you answer that. I know this. I'm 43 years old. And I, when, when I was probably 12 or 13, if somebody would have told me if somebody had a million dollars that they would never have to do another thing in their life, and all of a sudden now you're starting to realize the way things are going, you're wondering what... How far would that go? How long would that last? And so the numbers keep growing and, and, and you can't have how many square feet does the house need to be and how many does your SUV need to sit and how many acres do you have to have and how many vacations do you need to go on and all the things, if you're asked, how much is enough? So yeah, how much money? How much success when we talk about that? How much, how much beauty would be enough to satisfy us? I, I'm incredibly worried about, it's always been a problem, but when I look at social media use, especially among teens, they are seeing things held up as standards that are absolutely unattainable. In other words, what is your definition of pretty? Like, what is your definition of handsome? What does that, what does that look like? And you start to realize that because they're so exposed to this, we live in a world where there are absolutely beautiful people that do not believe that they're attractive at all because they, they, what would be enough? Do you know how many cosmetic surgeries are being done right now that we see? I mean, it has gotten rampant with that because it's never quite enough. Beauty, how much would that be enough to satisfy us? So what happens is 
we end up with these gaping holes inside our life that are unfulfilled. And it's because it's like trying to dump things in a bottomless pit and you keep putting more and more and more and more and yet your theme song continues to be, I can't get no satisfaction. Well, in John chapter 4, we encounter a woman who is at the well. Jesus intentionally, give you a little bit of background, he goes through a Samaritan town on purpose. He could have avoided it, and most Jews, in fact, all Jews would have avoided it because they saw as Samaritans as scum of the earth. They didn't want to associate with them. They didn't want to talk with them. It was a, a racism that was deep down in people. And so Jesus, though, instead of doing that, goes th straight through the heart of this Samaritan village and has an appointment, and he finds himself sitting at this well and this woman comes to the well. Well, if things weren't weird enough that he was in Samaria, they just got really weird because now Jesus is having a private conversation with a woman. You, that, you didn't do that in polite company. And in fact, if you understand the background of John 4, it's already, already a really odd story because the woman came to the well alone. Women did not come to wells alone in ancient times. You came with a group of other women and you actually came at two times during the day. You came early in the morning and you came late in the afternoon because that's when it was cool. And if you're going to transport jugs of water from a well back to your house, you don't go in the middle of the day. So you might ask the question, why was this woman even at the well in the middle of the day? Well, the reason that she's at the well in the middle of the day it clarifies as we continue to read the story, but but the main reason that we got down to it is this woman has a, a reputation. That's a, we, that's a good word to use in polite company. She had been around the block and probably there was not a woman in town that trusted her because either she had tried to be with their man or she knew they knew somebody that she had been with. And so as Jesus begins to talk with her, this is not the type of individual that religious people would be expecting Jesus to even have a conversation with. But as she comes to the well, Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Very obvious conversation. Do you mind giving me a drink of water? And the conversation begins to unfold and Jesus looks at her and he says, he says, you've had five husbands, but the man you're currently living with now is not even your husband. And so he looks right into the heart of the problem. He looks right in, in, and identifies what's going on in her life. And she knows that he is obviously that there is something different about him. And so he begins to have this conversation with her and talking to her about something that actually will satisfy. And we find those verses in John chapter 4, verse 13. And Jesus says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will, give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we ask a real simple question. How can we achieve our satisfaction in Christ or in Christ alone? And the first thing, the first note that I have here is that we realize that thirst is inevitable. This woman has come to the well every day for no telling how long, but no matter how many times she came to the well, she had to keep coming to the well. Even from a physical standpoint, uh, our body needs three quarts of water a day just to stay alive. You have to keep going back. You have to keep 
drinking. You have to keep eating. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I did that three days ago. No, you've got to do it again. And so we know that there is a, a physical need for that, but we also recognize that the conversation that he's having is about obviously more than just the physical water that this woman is drinking. What is it specifically about that he's talking about? He looks at her and he says, the reason you've had so many men in your life is there's a hole in your heart that only God can fill, but you've tried to fill it with sex and men, and you see how far that's gotten you. The reason that you're alone at this well and you're all by yourself is because of the fact that your relationships have left you found wanting, and you're unsatisfied and you're dissatisfied. So what I'm telling you is there's something that can fill you in a way that nothing of this world can. Not a relationship, not a drug, not success, not power, not money. And if you knew the gift that I was talking about, you would have already asked me for that. So the point that Jesus is making is there is a reason that people are dissatisfied. And we may not see it as this, but that is actually a gift from God. We talked about Sunday people being willing to say, I've had enough, I'm at the end of my rope, I can't take it anymore. Well, let's just talk for just a moment about how wonderful it can be when somebody finally looks up and says, I've done everything I can to try to be popular. I've done everything I can to try to fill up my bank account. I've done everything I can to be in the right social circles. I've done everything I can to be in the right relationships. And then even people that you say, well, I'm not one of the people that, that you're describing. I mean, I'm a, a, a middle-aged adult married with kids. It's amazing, though, that how many of those people just like you and like me that I just described find themselves in places where they may be suffering from this worse than anybody else because we find ourselves continually pushing, continually wanting more, continually trying to figure that out until at some point the Lord uses that to say, are you ever going to realize that there's not going to be enough to fill a hole that I have placed inside the human heart because what people are looking for is God. They just don't know that they're looking for God. People are on the search for something that they don't even know they're looking for. But the fact that they're even looking means that God placed something inside them that no appetite that they have, that it couldn't be satisfied by anything else. So there's this there's actually, some people have called it the God gene that is inside every human pe person because we long for that. So we realize that thirst is inevitable. Number two, we realize that satisfaction is attainable. When Jesus says, if you knew the water that I offered you or that I would give you, that I am this living water, I am the, the living water, um, Jesus is telling her that what he could give her could completely satisfy her. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. So let's, let's just talk about that for, for just a moment. If you ever witnessed a baby, they come into this world crying and desiring to be fed. They come wanting to be fed and God has provided food for them. It is amazing if you see baby ducks get born they will waddle their way to the water. They are born by water and they desire to be in water and they go to water because water is available. It's something that can satisfy that. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, if we find ourselves in a place where we can't 
get any satisfaction, if we're wanting something that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only thing that that should lead a logical person to believe is that we must be made for another world. We must not be made for this world because nothing in this world can satisfy what our deepest longings are for. So we aren't made for this. So Jesus is preparing our hearts to let us know the reason that we don't store up for ourselves treasures on this earth where thieves and moths destroy is because he wants us to be prepared for something greater. I'll tell you... Um, just a little personal illustration uh, happened this year to me. Um, my close friends will pick on me because they say that I am tight. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty tight. Like when it comes to spending money, that makes, it, just, it makes me nervous. I, I, if I make a purchase, I think about it like a lot. Like I'm not, I don't just jump into, jump into stuff. Like, like, like that's just always kind of been, been my, my way. And sometimes even if I decide I want something, after it, I'll, I'll overthink it to the point that I won't end up getting it. So anyway, that's just a quirk. Um, and then, I don't know if any of you are like this, but then if I ever do break down sometimes and buy something I want, I feel guilty. I, I, don't, I don't even, in, sometimes I don't enjoy it because I think you shouldn't have bought that. So anyway, that's just, that's a personal thing. But Last year, I got a gift, and it's something that I would have never bought myself. And that's the best gifts to give, is you go, this person would never buy themselves this. And they may say, oh, you shouldn't have gotten me this. I, this is too much. But if they wouldn't have bought it themselves, but they like it, that's a great gift. So I ended up getting this camouflage pullover. And if you may know anything about it, it was a Sitka camouflage pullover. That's like high-dollar expensive. I mean, that's like, you know, I'm, that's like the Armani of camo or whatever, you know. What I mean, like I'm so I've got the I've got this Sitka I've got this Sitka pullover, you know. And I'm man, I'm kind of proud of this thing. I mean, I'm hunting it. It's even when it's hot, I'm hunting in this thing because I'm like hoping I get to take a picture in it, you know. Like I mean, it's and so I've got this got this got this pullover. Well, I hung it up over the course of of the summer. You know, obviously you're not going to wear camo pullover during the summer. And so October rolled around, and I boy, I'm I'm waiting. I mean, I'm wearing this thing to like football games and stuff. It, like, cause I'm just, I, and so I get the Sitka pullover out, and I kid you not, I should have brought it tonight so I could show you. I about lost my mind. I got it out of my closet, and immediately, immediately the verse came to mind. So I looked at it and I said, what is wrong with this thing? And so I called, I, I hollered at my wife. I know none of you men would do this, but I sometimes blame her for stuff that isn't her fault. Um, and I have been known to do that. And I said, I said, Brooke, she said, what? And I said, what did you do to my Sitka pullover? She said, what is a Sitka pullover? <laughs> I said, my fancy camo. What did you, she said, I hadn't done anything to your, what are you talking about? I said, I said, did you wash this in some unapproved detergent? She said, I don't know what, she said, I just washed it in whatever we want, like Tide, that's what we use. That's like the American detergent. I think that's what she washed it in. And, she, and I said, well, it's ruined. And I don't, and, and, and she said, well, then you ruined it. I said, well, she said, what's wrong with it? And I said, look at it. It's got, it's somebody, it looks like somebody stuck a clothes hanger. It's got all these little poles all in it. And she said, she looked at that 
And she all of a sudden just throws my, going through my closet. And she was like, and she said, uh, you know what that is? And I said, no. She said, Ma's ate that up. And it's got little holes all, I'm talking about little, little holes all over this Sitka pullover. I still wear that sucker because I'm cheap. But it's got, but it's got little holes all over it. So, so I'm about to lose my mind. So now I'm checking all my suits. Like I'm going through all the stuff in my closet. I got those little cedar things hung up. I've got little traps that the moth larva or whatever is supposed to get in. I got them lining the top. I tried to put some mothballs in there, but I decided I'd rather my clothes be eaten up than smell like that. So I got, I got, rid, of the, I got rid of those. And I'm sitting there looking at that pullover and I sat down on my bed. And I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but it bothered me how bad it bothered me. Do you know like, it really made, I, I mean, it really bought, like, I was really upset. I kind of had one of those, like, pity, po I don't ever get anything nice. All I just, I just make sure the kids and all have anything. This is the only thing I've really liked in a long time, and here it is, all tore up, and I don't know if I'll, I'll never get another one of these. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not saying all this out loud, but I'm sure thinking it. I mean, you know, I'm having me a good old, good old, just sitting on my bed, looking at my thing, and I thought, I'm wearing it anyway, and, uh, uh, you know, so I, I'm having this thought, and all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks that we really do live in a world where thieves steal and moths destroy. And at some point, that Sitka pullover was going to go in the garbage anyway. It didn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. But it, whether it's Sitka or whatever else it is that in your life, I guarantee you some of you can point to something that at some time in your life, maybe it was a thing, maybe it's not a clothing, maybe it's a vehicle, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a piece of land, maybe it was a job, that you said, if I could just get that, then boy, I'd be happy. And you know what? Some of you got it. It wasn't that you didn't get it. You did get it. And then you found yourself really upset because it wasn't all you thought it was going to be. After you got it, you kind of sat there and went, man... I thought I was going to be happier than this. I thought this was going to satisfy a little more than it has. Or maybe it did satisfy, but that lasted 24, 48 hours. If it's something really nice, it may give you two weeks. You ever notice that? There's a reason they call it a new car smell. Eventually, it's just your car. You know what I mean? And you just, it's just kind of what you drive. You don't, you don't care about it as much anymore. And so when we think about Jesus in the Beatitudes, something else that Jesus, that Jesus said, red letters, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We've got to change what we're really desiring and what we're hungry for. So 1965, the Rolling Stones introduced top hit. I can't get no what? Good, good. 1987. 1987. There's a few of you in here. Probably remember jamming in the, in the 80s. The Rushes back there in the corner, they probably remember this song a little bit. Some of y'all singers probably can remember it. A little band called U2, a guy by the name of Bono. He released a song, and the title was, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's, really a, it's actually a pretty powerful song because he's talking about everywhere he's been, everywhere he's searched, and he still hasn't found what he's looking for. It's almost a remake 
of the Rolling Stones 65 hit. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that they sound alike or that the lyrics are the same, but he's expressing the exact same sentiments that the Rolling Stones expressed. I can't get no satisfaction. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So when we think about all the things that we've tried, um, I ask you about how many of you are singers, whether or not you're musically inclined or you're a good singer or not. How many of you, just curious, enjoy going to a music concert? I don't, I don't mean church, but like if there was a concert, you'd be like, yes, if it was a group I liked, I would enjoy going to a musical concert. How, a few of you in here? Okay, don't be trying to sell tickets here. Uh, uh, um, all right, um, okay. Well, my wife and I had a conversation. This was last night. All right, now it's, it's February, and this is what she said. She said, I think I figured out what I want for my birthday. Her birthday is May 19th, <laughs> which I don't always respond. Like, I'm trying. You'd think after 20 years I would learn, but, like, I'm like, if you are already thinking about this, I'm nervous. Like, you know, like, like so evidently, I breathed heavily. I did not realize I breathed heavily, but evidently I went, <sighs> like, I was, which I thought I was just preparing my, like, you know, preparing to be more sensitive. That's what I thought I was, you know, kind of making sure, well, evidently that didn't come out exactly how I wanted it to. And I said, okay, uh, what, what you thinking? What you thinking? And she said, uh, well, there is the James Taylor concert is coming to the amphitheater, and I would like us to get tickets that she has always loved, loved James Taylor. And I said, I said, okay, you know, that, I, said, I said, that we probably, we probably could swing that. So we were talking, talking about that. Now, all that being said, I like music. Believe it or not, I do not like a concert. Like, I could listen to James Taylor from here to, like, I like James Taylor, but going to a concert that, even though I speak in front of people, being in a crowd, it, it makes me kind of nervous. I, it's just not my thing. Now, will I go to a James Taylor concert? Yes, because I want to stay married. So I will go to a James Taylor concert, and we can take our phones, and what I've seen fire, and I've seen rain, I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. You know, we can do it all. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. We can go do that. And so I'll do that for, for her. But I, I can remember one concert that specifically, I can remember where I was sitting. Um, it was in the old, it's not even, it's not, it, the building is the building is there, but it's not a church anymore. It's not a sanctuary anymore. But at the old First Baptist Hattiesburg on West Pine in Hattiesburg, go through downtown, and it was a, a Sunday night concert, and there were a bunch of us that that had gone, and they 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 brought uh, a lady in. Some of you may remember um, a Christian artist by the name of Nicole Nordeman. Does that? I don't know if that name rings a bell. Beautiful voice. But what was so cool about this concert, there was no band. It was her and a piano. And she played and sang, and that was, that was it. It was just complete, just she played and sang, and she sang some of her songs. She sang some other stuff. She got to the end, she, the end of the concert, and she said, she said, I want to play y'all one, one of my favorite songs. And so she starts playing, and I recognize the tune, but it it wasn't in the right, we weren't in the right place for the tune. It was hard to place because I was going, what is she playing? And she was playing 
you too. And so she starts singing this Bono song and she starts singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And so she sings into this song and then she just stops the song. And she says, guys, I just want to tell you something. And she began to talk about how that was the story of her life for so long. And then she gave her testimony and she began to talk about what Jesus had done. And she said, so I hope it's okay, but I want to sing you. She said, I've actually rewritten the words to this song and I'd like to sing to you my testimony. She breaks out on the piano in the exact same chords, everything. And she gets to those words and she is just wailing. And Jesus, I finally found what I'm looking for. And I, it, I remember just being just blown, just, it just, for whatever reason, it just, in that moment, it was like, that's incredible. I can remember just thinking how applicable it was. And, and just, and now every time I hear that U2 song, I can see Nicole Nordeman at the piano singing, I finally found what it is that I'm looking for. What Jesus is telling this woman at the well is that if you will drink of the living water I am promising you, then your testimony can be that you have finally found satisfaction and that now you can know that you have actually found what it is or you have finally found what it is that you're looking for. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the living water that satisfies us in a way that nothing else can. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that were in red letters. We thank you that you are real, that you actually walked this earth, that you are risen, and that you are our Savior. We thank you for the promises you made. Lord, we thank you that you've kept everyone. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that inside all of us you've created a God-sized vacuum that only you can fill. So, Lord, I thank you that we can find satisfaction and we find it only in you alone, the living water, the bread of life, the one who satisfies our soul. So, God, tonight, may it be that if there's anyone in here who still hasn't found what they're looking for, that, Lord, they would turn to you, Jesus, and that their testimony might be that they have finally found what it is that they're looking for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.